Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unchained. I'm your host, Laura Shin. Happy Thanksgiving to our U.S.-based listeners. Instead of a normal episode today, this is a discussion from Stellar's Meridian Conference, in which I moderated the panel Crypto on Every Corner, Driving Adoption. The speakers were Jeremy Allaire, co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Circle, and Melton Demirs, chief strategy officer at CoinShares. It was a super fun chat, made even more fun by Melton's tie-dyed Grateful Dead Dancing Bears t-shirt. Thank you so much to Stellar, which Disclosure has sponsored my shows, for hosting the conference. Since the talk takes a half an hour, there won't be a news recap this week, but next week we will be back with our regularly scheduled programming. Till then, enjoy your holiday. Crypto.com, the crypto super app that lets you buy, earn, and spend crypto. Earn up to 8.5% per year on your Bitcoin. Download the Crypto.com app now. So the topic of today's discussion is how the crypto industry can drive adoption. I just wanted to find out from you guys, how do you define that? What do you think the world will look like once crypto has been adopted? You know, there's there's two sort of visions. And I think, I don't know, maybe, maybe we can just be honest with ourselves. Sometimes I worry about the vision we have for cryptocurrency. So where I started, um, and I have a lot of respect for Jeremy and the team at Circle, uh, because back when I was in grad school in Boston, I actually used Circle to buy a lot of Bitcoin like <laughs> back in the day. So kudos to you, Jeremy. You saved me from my days of buying Bitcoin on Craigslist and using Gox and like spending <laughs> money fan. So glad I could be helpful. Yeah. So you helped me stack my my sats in the, the early days of Bitcoin. Um, but look, I think there's sort of two visions and they're two very different visions. The vision I've always had for Bitcoin that I think is a really compelling one is the separation for the first time of money and state. Uh, money has been an object of the state since Julius Caesar stamped his face on a gold coin. Um, and I think really the experiment we're attempting here, like the world is no longer defined by physical borders. We live in a very digital world. Um, anyone can be anyone on the internet. Um, we have many different identities, many different communities we're part of, sometimes as our default reality selves. Sometimes we're pseudonymous. You know, we, there are a lot of like eggs on Twitter who are anonymous individuals. Um, so I think we live in this really interesting world that is truly becoming borderless. And to me, Bitcoin really represents um, the evolution of money and transfer value in that world. But then at the same time, I think governments are looking at Bitcoin. I mean, right now we're living in a world where governments are trying to ban math. They're literally trying to ban <laughs> encryption. Like, we've, done this so, we've done this time and time again for the last 25 years since encryptions existed. Um, but, you know, the advent of central bank digital currencies and certainly what we've seen in the Asia Pacific region in particular with the advent of DCP and um, sort of national uh, quote unquote digital currencies, um, you know, I do have a lot of concerns around um, the ability for people to have financial privacy, privacy in transactions, privacy in their communications. So we have these two very different paths down which we're heading. I don't know if they're going to 
coexist. I don't know if it's going to be an epic collision. Uh, and I know, Jeremy, you've also, you know, been working a lot on USDC, which which arguably has a big role to play here. But I think the future of cryptocurrencies in our society is sort of at this very interesting impasse. I want Bitcoin to exist. I believe people have the right to privacy, that people have the right to pseudonymity in their transactions. Um, but I think governments certainly uh, do not in- like that and um, are advocating now for the antithesis of that, which is central bank digital currencies and um, monetary systems that give them complete control and the ability to exert financial censorship at every level of society. So Jeremy, I'll pass it to you. you might yeah, no, totally. I mean, there's so much, so much there. Um, you know, I, I guess I, um, it, it just as a technologist uh, the, to the question of, of, you know, w- w- you know, when will this be, you know, whatever uh, mainstream or however you want to call that, um, you know, uh, my view is that, you know, things are mainstream in terms of technology when they disappear, when they're invisible to people. Um, and, um, and where, when, when essentially like people just take, take them for granted. Right. And so depending on your age and depending on and where you are, like you might take for granted social media, but obviously that wasn't something that existed, uh, you know, whatever X number of years ago, or you might take for granted that, you know, you have this amazing, you know, uh, supercomputer. Um, and that's just like, that is reality. That is what the world was, but obviously that had changed. So at what point is the use of crypto so ubiquitous and so embedded in so many things that we just take it for granted? So we're, um, we're, we have quite a ways to go on that. Um, but I think we're making really, really strong progress. I think when I also think about that question, I really think about, um, you know, crypto, and blockchain um, is is it's a pretty broad surface area, right? You you can be narrowly focused and, and sort of say there's you know non-sovereign stores of value that use a blockchain infrastructure, you know, Bitcoin, Zcash, you know, et cetera, et cetera, which I, I completely agree with Meltem, right? There's this this is this new form of borderless internet money and it will continue to grow and scale. And I'm I'm you know quite quite optimistic about that. But then there's the the fundamentals of the broader technology, right? So, you know, public chain infrastructure as effectively a new operating system layer on the internet, um, a new set of operating systems for storing data, uh, conducting transactions and executing code. Um, that's what operating systems can help do. And so these new operating system layers, you know, are very, very general purpose in many respects. They're well suited to what I call fiduciary trust applications, but can also be, you know, I, you know, I was in a hackathon panel with Melton the other day, and we were looking at someone who built, uh, you know, a, a decentralized messaging application on top of Solana. The point being, yeah, and decentralized fantasy football, fantasy decentralized football fantasy football. Right right. So, so dig, digital games, uh, uh, you know, uh, messaging applications. You know, all of these things on decentralized infrastructure, Web3, et cetera, like that part of this is also a very, very important part of this. And so and, and you know, something like stable coins, like regulated stable coins, like, uh, uh, you know, USDC or, or potentially Libra, like these these are also like apps that run on this these new operating systems and could be quite popular. And so I think in terms of the question of when does that become mainstream, I think we're really close there, I think, in the next 12 to 24 months, many of the most popular digital wallet products in the world 
that are used that we think of and use like as peer-to-peer payment apps or the things like that, they're going to turn on these protocols. They're going to turn these on and you're going to have, you know, all of a sudden hundreds of millions of people that can make interoperable payments with each other. And that will kind of be in the background. That will kind of be invisible. You'll, you'll just, you won't be trapped in making payments to people who have Venmo. Uh, you'll be able to make payments between Venmo and Square Cash and PayPal and Swish in Sweden and Vips in Norway and, you know, go around the world to all these different um, apps. They're all going to speak these common protocols. And I think that's, that will be a, a, a uh, a mainstream phase in digital currency um, that's that's coming, and I think ultimately, you know, uh, you know th- that same number of people who might feel okay, like I'm using euros or dollars or whatnot, feeling comfortable using Bitcoin, that will grow too, um, and uh, eventually, yeah, I, I would expect billions of people will will want to use Bitcoin too. Yeah, the way that I think about it also is, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, I didn't wake up and check multiple um, communications apps, you know, like iMessage and WhatsApp and Signal and Telegram and Facebook Messenger and Twitter DMs. But this yeah. <laughs> nowadays, it's like, you know, probably yeah. one of the first things I do when I wake up. So I imagine that it'll be the same here, but for different for like a huge variety of financial transactions. And, you know, like Jeremy said, across the globe, not just with people that I know. And I also think that there will probably be a lot of ways to make passive income off yep. these networks and it will be, yeah. you know, not with like a huge company at the center of it, but just yeah. kind of like little market. mini democracies yeah. around the world. So let's now kind of talk about where we are in this cycle, because even though we're far off from this vision that we created, I do think that this has been a landmark year in some ways, um, probably with the biggest news being um, PayPal introducing um, the, you know, sale and and um, purchase of Bitcoin and three other cryptocurrencies on its platform. Um, so how would you describe kind of like where we are in our current stage? Yeah, I can I can jump in quickly. Um, look, I think at this point, I'm shocked that it took PayPal this long to be candid. Uh, you know, um, there are a lot of stories unfolding here, and if we sort of pull at the the threads here, um, I was listening to Reid Hoffman in the last session, um, chatting with Danelle from the Found- Stellar Foundation about you know his journey at PayPal, <laughs> and he, he used the word "we were so naive when we we started PayPal," which I thought was interesting. Um, you know, when we look at uh, traditional fintechs, I think many of them have recognized the power of adding crypto to their platform. Number one, it's a huge revenue driver. Um, Square's Bitcoin revenue has grown quarter over quarter um, by really, really large uh, percentages. Uh, I think this last quarter, their Bitcoin revenue grew close to 200%. And not only that, I think executives are seeing the impact to both private company valuations and public company valuations of adding crypto. Uh, Similarly, you know, if we look at the PayPal story, uh, PayPal, you know, has 300 million users. Um, They only, though, transmit, I think, about $700 billion of value a year. If we look at what's happening in APAC, Alipay last year transmitted $17 trillion of value on their network. So I think there are these radical differences um, in how people around the world are using payments, payment systems. um, And there is a competition afoot, right? (laughs) Like at the end of the day, what we're competing for is what we were competing for with the internet. I remember my first interactions on the internet were with, um, you know, uh, chat apps, but then AOL came along and sort of made the internet accessible for people like my parents who weren't, you know, playing video games and 
playing around on the on these chat groups with weirdos all around the world. And I kind of view money the same way, right? We have people who are building these closed networks, but all of these payment apps have the same fundamental challenge. And I think Jeremy articulated it really well. If I have PayPal and he has Venmo, we can't interact with one another, even though we have the same phone, even though we live in the same country, we're standing right next to each other, but we can't transmit value. How insane is that? So um, in my view at this point, you know, large companies adopting crypto, it's a must have. I'm shocked it's taking them this long. And it is driving valuations. It's driving revenue. It's a no brainer. And let's not forget when you add crypto, you also get access to one of the most powerful marketing channels in the world which is crypto Twitter. Like people are, we have an army of people on the internet who are obsessed with crypto. And anytime anyone does something like Paul Tudor Jones talks about Bitcoin. If you look at his Google search results, like flatline, the minute he talks about Bitcoin, huge spike. So in terms of relevance, I think a lot of companies have recognized if you market to Bitcoiners, like it's a great way to get eyeballs on what you're doing. So let's not underestimate the power of crypto Twitter. Shout out to everyone because um, it's an amazing community to market to. Crypto.com, the crypto super app that lets you buy, earn and spend crypto all in one place. Earn up to 8.5% per year on your BTC. Download the Crypto.com app now to see the interest rates you could be earning on BTC and more than 20 other coins. Once in the app, you can apply for the Crypto.com Metal Card, which pays you up to 8% cash back instantly. Reserve yours now in the Crypto.com app. Yeah, I mean, just checking in on like where we're at. I mean, I think, yeah, this year was a really big year. I think the, that um, ha- having, you know, ma- mainstream consumer fintechs, you know, we, we've had, you know, Revolut and Robinhood and Square and uh, and others. Like, I, I think as Meltem said, it, it was only a matter of time that, you know, PayPal would 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 introduce some support and and obviously um you know there's been this tremendous rise in in many different dimensions here right there's been obviously the rise in the absolute price of bitcoin there's been this incredible surge in growth in stablecoin usage uh like usdc we've seen 200 billion dollars of on-chain transactions it's just incredible to see that amount of growth um and, you know, obviously you're seeing credit markets that exist now that are smart contract based, these yield markets, which is phenomenon that's grown, you know, uh, enormously this year. All these things are are thematically, um, you know, th- these were twinkles in someone eye, someone's eye a couple of years ago, two, three years ago. And, and, and now they're actually playing out. So I think, um, you know, the, the twinkle in the eye that we just talked about of like interoperable digital wallets and people using cryptocurrency within that, whether it's stable coins or Bitcoin or both, which I, I think it'll oftentimes be both, um, you know, th- that that may be much faster than we than we expect. Um, and, and I think we're, we're seeing, um, you know, digital wallet projects in every corner of the world, in every currency market in the world who are embracing this. And so, um, you know, th- that is going to, uh, like the uh, the early internet, it's going to light up this global network and all of a sudden everyone will be connected. Uh, and that's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, I do agree. It sort of feels like right now is sort of this tee up moment where like a lot of people are just kind of getting access to what would be necessary for a kind of next big step. Um, and yet I also think that there are some other things that need to be resolved before the ball can really move forward. And 
I think, you know, maybe one of those things might be regulatory questions that need to be resolved or like certain kinds of other infrastructure that need to be built. So what do you think are kind of the next critical steps for where the crypto industry um, needs to go, you know, I guess in the next year or so? I've been thinking a lot about this. Um, I can touch on a couple and, 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 um, and go from there. But, um, you know, on the infrastructure side, I mean, clearly, and, and this is really just from, from a little bit of a narrow perspective here, which is sort of stablecoin view, um, you know, in, in order for this to work at scale for consumer scale payments, we need to be using blockchain infrastructure that is designed for that. And so, you know, w- one of the really key things, you know, I, I am not what I call a, a, um, a blockchain maximalist. Like I don't have a blockchain that I say, well, that's going to, that's definitely the going to be the dominant blockchain. Um, there's a huge amount of innovation in this space. Uh, you're, you know, you're seeing, you know, obviously projects like Stellar really starting to get traction with a lot of different financial applications. Uh, you see DeFi happening on things like Ethereum, but it's hitting constraints. You're seeing other new chains that launch that are focused on things like, you know, uh, decentralized markets or regulated securities or other kinds of things. So, but all of this needs this infrastructure. We need scale. We need to be able to have, um, applications. Like if we, if we have these consumer wallet applications that are pointing at a public internet network and pointing their users at a public internet network and you're settling transactions, you need to be able to support, you know, thousands and then tens of thousands of transactions per second. And we're, we're now we're seeing that we're seeing blockchains that can do that. Um, and so that's really, really exciting. Um, and um, that's been a missing, that's been a, a really a missing piece is that, that, that combination there. There's a lot on the regulatory side, um, <clears throat> but even there, and, and we, maybe we'll come back to that in more detail. The, um, you know, you can, you know, for some people, the, the regulatory work, you know, you can call it progress, meaning that there's, there is actually increasing amounts of clarity or rulemaking that's happening in different parts of the world and other people that that's not progress. That's actually restrictive and will, 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 uh, I think, you know, potentially destroy some of the potential benefits of this technology. And, um, but I think, um, for everyday users and businesses to say, yes, this is, this is a legitimate, financial infrastructure for the modern economy, for this digital economy, there will have to be, you know, these, these rule sets are, and they're going to need to be consistently applied in a lot of places. Um, and so th- that is, um, that's a key piece that's unfolding literally as we speak. Melton, do you want to jump in? Uh, sure. Um, look, l- let's just be very realistic. Um, I run a regulated business. Jeremy's in a regulated business, right? Uh, we've certainly had a lot of interactions with, with regulators. Um, at this stage, you know, I I like to joke, it would have been easier to start a bank than to start a crypto <laughs> company because it would have been less onerous. Um, yeah, you know, totally. Yeah. <laughs> right? I'm like, oh, oh why? Well, why are yeah. we doing this? <laughs> but look, um, let me maybe take a slightly contrarian view because I think it's fun when we get to disagree on things. Um, well, certainly, you know, I think right now we're going through this phase um, and we've been talking about it forever. The institutions are coming. What does it look like for crypto? Which really like, let's for a minute talk about how unique cryptocurrencies are. We built an entirely separate market with its own infrastructure, with its own unique um, sort of marketplaces, its own unique financial instruments, entirely outside of the existing financial system. For the last 12 years, 
that is what we've been doing. That's what I've been investing in. That's what Jeremy was building, you know, initially at Circle. And he was trying to create that first bridge between the traditional U.S. banking system, ACH, and, you know, being able to use the correspondent banking system to buy and sell cryptocurrencies. That really has only started in earnest now. But the question is, does adopting cryptocurrencies mean that institutions continue to exist in their current form? And I am certainly personally of the mind that institutions should not continue to operate in their current form. I don't think it would be a step forward for society if we took cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and shoved them in a vault at BNY Mellon or JP Morgan Chase or another institution and gave people synthetic Bitcoin to trade. That is not the point of what we're doing here. Yes, maybe we get slightly faster transactions, but you don't need a blockchain or a digital currency to do that. I think the true um, value and the true potential of cryptocurrency, cryptocurrencies and their ability, you know, to Jeremy's point, to create these open protocols, these open source networks um, where anyone can build, anyone can interact on them. Yes, a business that you build in a particular jurisdiction will obviously be subject to the rules and regulations of that particular jurisdiction. But the whole point of the Internet is it's open and it's borderless and permissionless, and anyone can interact with the internet. Obviously, if I'm accessing the internet in China versus accessing the internet in the US, my experience is going to be different due to the service provider in that jurisdiction. But we're still utilizing the same protocols. We're still utilizing a lot of the same infrastructure, and we're accessing a lot of similar platforms. I think the challenge I have is um, I really want to see cryptocurrencies change the way that institutions function. I think we are long overdue for change in our relationship with money. I am of the mindset that, um, you know, the separation of money and state is one of the most important experiments that we have ever conducted as humanity. It's profoundly interesting from a philosophical perspective, from a political perspective, a cultural perspective. I always like to say like Bitcoin is a social movement first and foremost, I'll sound like the crazy radical here. Um, I'm not ashamed to say that. Like, welcome to our cult. We have great swag and great memes. (laughs) But um, look, I think the core question for me is, is how can we use cryptocurrencies to evolve how our institutions function, right? Because at the end of the day, um, humans don't define themselves by the the jurisdiction in which they're physically located anymore. And we're in this really weird world. And I do sympathize with regulators because they're grappling with a number of challenges on a number of fronts that come from like the shift from a physical world to a very digital world. And the digital world doesn't have jurisdiction, not in the traditional sense. So how are you going to regulate something that has no CEO, that has no headquarters, that has no physical jurisdiction, you you can't you you have to change your mental framework for how you think about these things and i think that is what's really taking time it's going to take a shift in who's in power and we're seeing that right lot of younger people uh, are in Congress. There are a lot of people from communities who haven't historically been in Congress. We have the most women in power in the U.S. than we've had in our entire country's history, right? Like, that is also crazy. It's the year 2020. And just now, do we have an elected official in the White House who is a woman? It's bizarre to me. Um, But there's a lot of change happening. And there's a changing out of um, the old guard, as I call it. And there are people with different mindsets who are coming in, who are looking at the world and saying, well, 
why are we doing things this way? And that's why I love working in technology and venture capital is I get to interact with people like Jeremy every day who say, wait a minute, we don't have to do things this way. We can actually change what it means to be a financial institution. That's what's so exciting to me is like we get to create a new narrative and we get to rewrite the story of what it means to be a financial institution. And that I think is actually going to be the most powerful thing that we can build, that we can do. I am so excited about it. I think it's amazing. <laughs> well, I, I hopefully I, coming through the screen. I am so excited about it. I, I, I would lo- like ladder off that quickly, which is just to say um, like the, 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 the changes that it become possible um, when money works the way the internet works and when, and it's, it, it, go, it goes so much deeper than that. I mean, I think um, to Melton's point, like we are seeing experiments right now with the creation of new, what I call kind of corporate forms, basically new structures that are entirely governed in crypto, where the entirety of the, the way in which participants are involved, the way in which governance happens, the way in which value is exchanged, the way in which value is created and derived, that's all being managed on blockchains, no connection to a externalized legal system or no connection to uh, you know, a, a the, the traditional financial system. And, you know, in, in economics, and I studied economics as well, and you've got microeconomics and you've got macroeconomics. And in microeconomics, you're focused on the theory of the firm and what is a firm and what happens in a firm. And we have joint stock corporations as the, the modern, you know, kind of, you know, model. I believe we are right now seeing a revolution away from joint stock corporations and into digitally native entities that are yes. entirely exist in tokenized form and entirely exist on blockchains. And, uh, you know, if you're starting a project and you want to collaborate with people and exchange value and, and ultimately create work output and so on, it's going to move to those kinds of forms. And that just goes so far outside of the, the, the global legal system is even con- able, capable of contemplating. And, but that's what, that's what people are doing. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 okay, so I'm going to, Jeremy, Let's do it. Let's get it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I'm excited to watch to cover you guys at creating this brand new thing, which is amazing. So we literally have just one minute left. Oh, no, so no. I'm going to ask one quick question. You only get to say one sentence with your answer. And then I'm going to just do um, these, uh, some of the Q and A's that are also short answers. But um, what are some of your favorite success stories when it comes to adoption? So maybe just pick one company with like one reason why that's one of your favorite success stories so far with adoption. And while you're thinking about that, one of the Q&As that came in was, when is USD coming to Stellar? Someone wants to know when they can trade it on a DEX. I, uh, I can answer that, that audience question. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we announced USDC for Stellar um, and it's coming soon. Um, okay, <laughs> you don't have a date. Okay, favorite success well, we- stories and then we're going to close out. Go ahead. What, what are your favorite success stories when it comes to adoption so far and just give a one sentence reason? Yeah, favorite success story, um, Bitcoin as savings technology. Um, I'm from Turkey. People in countries like Turkey are able to use Bitcoin to protect themselves from the debasement of their own currencies and preserve their wealth and their financial sovereignty. I think that's so empowering. And to me, that's why I love cryptocurrencies. Like, let's empower individuals, not institutions. I, I like per, like really really small world anecdotes, which is um, there. Uh, I I heard a, a story of a, a firsthand story of a person who was fleeing Colombia because of uh, 
of specific human rights violations and they they knew that they were going to have to cross a border um, to get out and they were going to be confronted with police and everything would be taken from them. And they, you know, they created a brain wallet and they walked across the border with their Bitcoin in their brain and all their wealth was preserved. And I thought that's changing the world. Um, That is amazing. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure I would forget the brain brain wallet, but that's just me. But anyway, (laughs) Okay, you guys. Well, this has been so great. I'm so glad I got to see you again. And um, thank you so much for participating in our panel. 